Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, features editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. It's going to be another fantastic week. Tyler, we're coming to the end of our uh, fintech ecosystems, am I right? Well, Polly, yes, yes, you're right. It's a sad, it's a sad old time this week. We've we've come to the end of a, a major series, fintech ecosystems. Wow, wow, wow! How well is that done? We've been so lucky with all of the great responses that we've got. And um, I think I'm going to be uh, discussing one of my favorite articles in the in the meeting today in the podcast. So, so yeah, this should be a really, uh, really good chat. What, what have you got in store for us today, Polly? Well, with fintech ecosystems coming to a close, that does mean that another exciting month is, is coming to a start, which of course is Women in Fintech, um, our October focus, uh, which I'm very excited about. And we've got lots of lovely, fantastic uh, fintech women uh, ready to speak. Uh, so it's going to be very, very exciting. And then Francis, how are you doing? How's, how's your week been? Had a very good week. Thanks, Polly. And happy to be here again. You know, it's always a nice sort of way to round out the week. Just having a little chat about some of the stuff we've learned about. And as you guys have alluded to, the exciting things coming up, including uh, women in fintech. So yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to this uh to this chat today amazing that's what we like to hear so francis what are you going to be talking about this week this week i'm going to be talking about money being sent abroad and some insights from mastercard and how popular remittance is and i suppose cross-border payments continue to be following the pandemic amazing and tyler this week we're going to be talking about the tools that are crucial for fintech expansion what about you, Polly? Amazing. And then I'm going to be talking about the Hong Kong Monetary Authority's new uh, pilot scheme for training subsidies, uh, as exciting as that is. Uh, but why don't we go I with... think we go with you first, Polly, this week. We haven't Let's gone go with, with me first. Before. I never go first. That's, yeah, that's Polly, your time in the chair. Oh, man. Right. Better uh, better put it out the bag. Um, so basically, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, or HKMA, announced the implementation of details of the pilot scheme for a training subsidy for fintech practitioners. That's a lot of big words in one sentence. Um, but essentially, uh, in the 2022 to 2023 budget, the financial secretary announced plans to implement the scheme this year so that practitioners who have attained fintech professional qualifications can receive reimbursement of up to 80% of the training costs. And this scheme will provide around 1,500 places to promote the professional development of fintech talent and expand the fintech talent pool in Hong Kong. And I wanted to talk about this today because it's a two-pronged approach here. Number one, talent. I feel like we talk a lot at the moment about like talent, um, particularly within fintech, but like, you know, that we talk a lot about sort of like the talent shortages across industries, but within fintech as well, and, you know, fostering new talent, things like that. Um, and also why I wanted to talk about this today is because obviously we get to talk about our favorite thing in the world, which is financial education um, on a slightly different way, obviously, because here we're talking obviously about bankers getting qualifications, not just sort of like the general public learning more about fintech, but I'm still counting it as financial education. Um, so I just thought this was a fantastic scheme. 
and a really interesting thing to be offered um, in Hong Kong. And the idea that, you know, people will receive reimbursement for the training costs, I think is brilliant because how better to foster talent, how better to nurture the talent you've got than to help with the training. You know, we always say training is so important, especially in different roles like this. And I think this is just a brilliant way of doing it. And it will really play a critical role, um, one of the quotes said, in raising the professional competence of banking practitioners in Hong Kong, which can only be a good thing. Everyone loves a bit of professional competence. And especially when it comes to banking and bankers and anything in the fintech area, you know, we're talking about money here. More qualifications and more knowledge can only be a good thing. And these training subsidies offered under the scheme will just completely increase incentives for banking practitioners to pursue professional development within the fintech arena. And this could be really crucial as well, because, you know, we talk a lot about banks and fintechs competing or collaborating, you know, and the idea that there's a, a big versus thing between them. But actually, in this way, we're talking about bankers learning more about fintech and ingratiating themselves within the fintech world, which can only be a good thing for both sides, surely. Um, but anyway, I've, I've talked for ages, so I'm going to ask you guys' opinion. But what do you think about this scheme, firstly? And also, is this a scheme that you would like to see in other places, you know, rolled out to other parts of the world? Uh, Francis? Yeah, I think so. Because as we've sort of spoken about before on the podcast, there's always this idea that talent retention is extremely difficult. And, you know, there's a talent shortage in the global fintech sphere. It's not even just in Hong Kong or just in Europe or North America. It doesn't really matter where you go. Getting good talent is always proving to be kind of a challenge and especially retaining that talent as well to not be sort of poached by bigger companies who are offering better salaries, let's say. So I think this idea of, you know, Training to get to a certain degree is obviously what a lot of people aspire to. And it's, it helps with career progression as well, which I think is a massive thing that probably isn't spoken about enough. Um, you sort of hear about, I don't know, the big names in the fintech sphere. But there isn't, I mean, we try to highlight it a bit at the fintech times, but I mean, you don't really hear about the career journeys of how they got there and, you know, how newcomers in the, the field are going to get there as well. You sort of just hear from CEOs and they sort of just appear to have been CEOs from out of nothing. And I think that's, whilst there is a way of looking at it, it's like, sure, they're, they're well, uh, they deserve to be where they are. I think it's really important to sort of look to the future and say, well, obviously they're not going to be there forever. We need to be training up people to be getting, to feel confident that they can take on a, a similar role. And I think if you're reimbursing people for that training, sort of taking the burden off of that training, it gives them the incentive that I can further my career with the company that's helped me get here already. Not only does that retain the talent, but it also, I think, just it, it does what it's meant to do. It trains them up and it helps make the next generation of, of people that are going to work for the company and in the sector in general. So I think it's a great thing that, you know, really should be rolled out everywhere, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with everything that you said. You know, it's it's just a really great scheme and one that could only have benefits, let's be honest. Uh, Tyler, what did you think on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to say anything bad about this scheme. I think, as we said uh, in your opening, Polly, you know, there, there are issues in the industry right now with, with talent and especially expertise in certain areas. So I think this will do really well to sort of close that. I think in terms of, I'm going to admit that I'm, I'm not the biggest expert on Hong Kong banking, 
But from what I've seen in like a really general view of the industry is that uh, there appears to be some sort of level of disparity between very traditional banking companies and very like uh, very contemporary fintech companies, right? So I think I think this scheme will do really really well to sort of close that gap and and raise awareness and, and raise um, knowledge more than anything about the fintech industry. I mean, Hong Kong is already um, a leader in, in the fintech space and anything that the uh, Hong Kong Monetary Authority releases, I'm always all over. So I think this is a really, really good initiative. And I, yeah, I think it, I think it's uh, it should be sort of uh, replicated in other areas. I, I think that would be really good. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Tyler, as well. I mean, we're always talking a lot in the industry about how to level up fintech, you know, what's what's next for fintech and providing that kind of education and that kind of training to people both, you know, aspiring to be in the fintech industry and people already in the fintech or the financial industry, I guess we should say, um, it's only going to bring so much benefits for the industry and just really nurturing that talent uh, to go forward. Um, but anyway, moving on, Francis, why don't you go next? Yeah, thank you, Polly. So I guess kind of taking a different approach to things and moving away from the banking industry, I suppose, and looking more at, I guess we'll say the payments industry, because we're talking about cross-border payments and remittances and how following sort of the, I suppose, the lightening of COVID travel restrictions, sending money home online is still proving to be a very, very popular way for people to send money to their families. So the cross-border payments network was vital to the financial survival of families around the world at the height of the COVID-19 crisis. And according to the 2022 MasterCard Boardless Payments Report, continues to play a key role. So MasterCard surveyed roughly 8,000 consumers sorry, across 15 different markets and found that despite evidence of economic recovery with earnings up globally compared to before the pandemic, the cross-border payments were still being used more frequently than 12 months ago. So nearly six in 10 people said that they send money abroad to support family and friends. And I suppose if you're if you're looking at it from a, I guess from our point of view, you might not always expect the number to be that high, really, because I feel like, I don't know about you guys, I, I don't really seem to send much money abroad. And I imagine you guys are in the same boat. So it kind of seems like a another world almost. And I think that's an interesting point to to take from you know, looking at the fintech industry as a whole, is that no one is really in the same boat in different regions. Like everyone is dealing with their own sort of challenges and tribulations. And I think, so both Colombia and Brazil, which particularly suffered during the pandemic with high numbers of cases, report significantly higher levels of cross-border payments. And I mean, again, it's just something that we aren't that used to. Or And I think when you're seeing that people are, are understanding that, you know, technology is giving them a new way to approach challenges that they previously would have struggled with. I think you're starting to see what fintech is really meant to be, what is its real purpose is, you know, and an interesting stat that I found from this article was that despite 71% of, uh, of their respondents saying that even though they can now travel home to with that money that they've earned, they will continue to send money online for ease. And MasterCard noted that to enable this, it's important that cross-border payments are faster, more transparent and secure than they've ever been before. And I really think this is a, an interesting point just to sort of discuss, you know, 
is this something that we would have expected during, I guess, following the pandemic, that cross-border payments would continue to be so popular and that, you know, companies would really need to, to look at how they can improve that facility for the people in these other regions where it is so crucial? So I guess what I really wanted to discuss with you is, does that come as a surprise that we are continuing to see this high number of use cases when perhaps you would have thought, oh, well, now that people can travel again, they're just going to manually move the money. So I guess, Tyler, what do you think? Well, I think when we consider the pandemic, we, we look at things like work from home, right, as being like a direct result of the pandemic. People couldn't meet up in work, they couldn't go to the office. And, and that was sort of, in a way, the moment that work from home was born. And it sort of stayed with us even after COVID has, has become less prevalent. I really liked this MasterCard study and I really liked how it was how it was um, described in the article. But to be honest, I'm, I don't really see uh, remittances in the same sort of category as I would put work from home in relation to COVID. I do think I do think that it, uh, the use of remittances was exacerbated by the pandemic. I mean, I think that's you know un- undeniable, but I don't really see it. I don't really see it, its existence as as hinging on the pandemic. If that makes any sense, I think that they were already well established services before COVID hit, and I think that even now COVID is sort of coming to an end. Fingers crossed. Um, I think that. You know they've they've been improved because of COVID, but I don't think that they're a byproduct of the pandemic. So to be honest, I'm not really too surprised by these findings from Mastercard. I think that I think it's just easier to move things, you know, move move digital numbers than it is to move paper banknotes. Do you know what I mean? Um, as well as sort of like the processing of of the money. I think in terms of like digital remittances, um, there are a few problems with that in in certain services that you choose to use. But in general, yeah, I'm not really that surprised. What about you, Francis? For the most part, I'd completely agree because I think, you know, as you you sort of touched on there is, it is extremely easy for these people to send money home. You know, when you compare the, the quite literal hours and sometimes even days or weeks that it would take for money to be transferred from one account to another if it's in another country and you physically have to take that money over and take it to a financial institution which can then store it for you when you compare all that sort of laborious work that would have taken place previously and compare it to the simple as you said moving digital numbers it really doesn't come as a surprise i meant more for the sake of i suppose the traditionalists shall we say those who have always thought that they weren't going to have that financial inclusion that they needed. And for those that, you know, would have struggled before to to really grasp how to use these digital functions, as they may have thought they didn't apply to them. I guess that's kind of the way I was looking at it is, are we surprised that it does continue to be so popular? And I guess you kind of answered it. And it's, the answer is really no. We aren't surprised because that, at the end of the day, people have had their eyes open to something that is so simple and easy to use. So, yeah, I definitely agree with what you've said, Tyler. Polly, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm not really surprised at all, to be honest. And I think when you when we think about things like this, you know, like even going back to sort of like digital transformation and the whole buzz that got from the COVID-19 pandemic, we almost have to take 
COVID out of the situation entirely. Obviously, I know that that helped fuel a lot of things and it really kicked things along uh, in the digital sense. But people are using cross-border payments now because they are safer, because they are easier, because they are way more secure, they are quicker, and they cost a lot less money than they used to. And that's just because, you know, the, the market has developed and evolved in the past couple of years and is now just a really easy way to send money home or to send money to other countries, I guess I should say. So it kind of makes sense that they're still popular because they have made themselves very popular by making them easy to use. I think, you know, like just harking back from you and what Tyler said, you know, other than the alternative is either to do sort of really clunky financial processes or get the cash out and fly home yourself, which just seems to be a, a silly idea no matter what you do, even if you were happening to go to that country anyway, having a big bag of cash on you probably isn't the, the best idea. Uh, going through customs um so yeah i don't think it's a surprise at all and if anything i think we'll just continue to see um it moving especially being you know some dicey economic situations in a lot of countries around the world at the moment the idea of moving money in is just going to keep the economy moving in some way and allow families to continue to you know put food on the table i guess to sound quite dramatic but if that's the reason people are sending it home that makes sense. So no, it's it's not surprising at all. And I think we're just going to keep seeing it going and going and going. So I suppose one reason that I think people might have been against these cross-border platform uh, payment platforms before was because of the service fees that may have taken place. And of course, in as you sort of alluded to there, Polly, you're, you're really sending money to put food on the table. And when that's the case, I don't think you can really afford to be paying a service fee, which is probably why so many people took money back physically because they said i want every single penny to count towards helping my family so i guess that might be one reason that people would have been hesitant to use it before but i think i don't know i almost want to disagree with you guys in in sort of like the impact that covid had because i think covid really did i know you guys said it, it exacerbated it but i think without covid you wouldn't have had that acceleration that would have in turn led to these cheaper models and cheaper systems that in turn allow for people to have more confidence in cross-border payment platforms so i think to an extent i i honestly don't see at least for another few years at least if covid hadn't had happened the development to get to where we are now i think would have been extremely slow and you know you probably would have continued to see a lot of people taking taking solace in in the traditional ways of doing things so i think as bizarre as it sounds, we have COVID to thank for the for the acceleration that's taken place. But yeah, no, I think it's it's an interesting space, and it'll be interesting to see you know how it develops now in the few years that we've got here. You know, to see uh, are we going to get to a time where it's almost like I don't know that we'll never see any sort of physical transactions. And I suppose that's ultimately what we want to achieve with a cashless society. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see see where we go to next. And I guess we'll go to you, Tyler, now for, for our final article today. Oh, yes. Hello, everybody. Well, those are really, really great articles, and I'm obviously going to struggle uh, to follow you guys. But, um, yeah, as we mentioned in the beginning, we were covering fintech ecosystems in September, and I'm super, super happy with how it went. We had so many responses, a crazy amount of responses, but I was really, really thankful to everybody that, that wrote in and gave comments and sat down for interviews. I am forever indebted to all of you. Anyway, 
In our, uh, in our in, uh, podcast today, I'm going to be discussing uh, the tools that are critical for a successful fintech expansion. Now, obviously, like expanding a fintech is a, a mutual ambition shared by nearly everybody in the industry. Nobody wants a company to get smaller. Um, and this article really just wanted to investigate what companies needed to implement or maybe they were initiatives maybe they were tools maybe they were softwares that that would drive them further and i i sat down with a load of really different uh industry experts to find out what they wanted to uh to tell me so uh we actually began our our um investigation with irene scrinova of unlimit and she uh one of the things that she put forward was partnerships and she said that partnerships are really really crucial to uh generating new products and revenue streams um and i think this is sort of something that we touched on earlier in the series where we were looking i think it was during the first very first week of the coverage that we were looking at uh, is it better to compete or collaborate so that really uh, backs up what Irene's saying here is that uh, partnerships really do generate these uh, these these elements that are going to drive your business forward uh, following that we had Catherine Dahl of Beanworks and she uh, was really really interesting to speak to she spoke about the need for automation in uh, the successful expansion of fintech services. And that, again, is something of like super, super um, expected response. I mean, we've seen automation. We spoke about it here in the podcast many times and about the power of automation. And she really confirmed those feelings for us, Catherine, she did. And uh, she spoke about how they had to automate their processes and sort of drop all the dead weight. And they had to I think the way that she put it was to be lighter and move faster was was a key for for, for uh, fintech expansion. And moving on from that, we had Christian Lund, um, who was from Tem. Uh, oh gosh, Templify. Sorry, I I I can't read my own writing. Um, but yeah, Christian uh, was really really interesting and something he threw a major curveball into my article. He uh, actually put uh, put through. Uh, document generation processes and that was very similar to what Catherine was saying but I think what he was touching more upon was being able to have a real scope over the paper trails of your business I mean I guess paper trails is a strong word I mean they're all digital now right but he was really saying you know you've got to have uh, digital documents you've got to be on top of what you're putting out there you've got to know where all your resources are and you've got to have access to them quickly one of the trends that I've really noticed in the industry so far, and I'm not sure if uh, you guys would agree or not, but uh, really the rise of these digital document uh, businesses. I mean, we're working closely with FIO at the moment, and they, they're really one of the pioneers of this tr of this trend. So, uh, yeah, that's what Christian shared. Is to get forward, you have to have digital documents and document generation processes. So um, following on from that, John Deering from Capstone Tr uh, Strategic, he said that a products, in order to get forward, in order to do well, and I don't think this is exclusive to the fintech industry, but in order for to, for products to do really well um, and get forward, were to be as niche and user friendly as possible, and I'm sure you guys would both appreciate that because you know sometimes sometimes these fintech services, especially if anything involving like crypto or stocks, can be really um, really difficult to work with and really difficult to understand. And I think some of the reasons why, I, oh gosh, I don't even know. Like uh, for example, 
Revolut's crypto services, right? They've done really well to do that because they've made it so simple. And I think that really just sort of underscores what John's saying in this article is that they have to be niche and user-friendly. So I, I said nice and niche um, in, in my article. And I think that really uh, described it perfectly. Then finishing off our, our discussion, I, I just wanted to have five people on it actually in, in the article. And I'm really happy that I did. We had uh, Vikas Gupta of Abizo. And what Vikas said was that you actually have to have the right mindset to get forward. I mean, you can have all of these other pieces, but if you don't have it up here, um, as I point to my head, um, you are, you're gonna, you're gonna have to, you're not gonna make it basically. Nobody's gonna know you're there because you, you really have to be switched on. So, so yeah, I think, I think just to recap those, I mean, you know, you have to have automation, you have to have the right partnerships and the right people by you, I guess. Uh, document generation processes, you have to have a niche offering that's user-friendly. And you also have to have the right mindset. So following that, <laughs> I really want to pass the, pass the question over to you guys. You, Polly and Francis, your, your, your brand new fintechs, your startups, your, your Series A, what tools would you engage with? Maybe some I've mentioned here, maybe some I haven't. What tools would you engage with to expand your business? give you five seconds to think, four seconds to think, three seconds to think, two seconds to think, one second to think. Francis, we're over to you. Right. Oh, Jesus, no pressure. <laughs> no, I think when you're looking at it from, from an expansion point of view, I think most of the time, you, I really agree with the last point, really, that you need to have the right mindset because these things are never going to be handed to you on a plate. You need to have the drive and desire to to expand and you need to have the ambition as well and i think if you don't have that to begin with that work ethic isn't just going to come overnight it needs to be sort of ingrained in the person that you are and in a company's ethos as well it needs to be this ambitious ever expanding i guess the i'm trying to think of a, a perfect word really to describe it but it's, it's just eluding me right now but i think there is just this Everything needs to line up to be to be ambitious. I think that really is just what it comes down to is this ambitious nature of wanting to explore another market, wanting to expand, wanting to share your services with other people. And ultimately, I think that is the number one thing. And then I think the, the second thing that is sort of comes above automation and sort of digital documentation, in my opinion, at least, is partnerships, because especially having looked at Latin America in great detail, having done our Inconversa series, which, you know, shameless plug, check out the Inconversa series at the FinTech Times. Take a lot of pride in that. And uh, it's a very, very interesting series. So I would highly recommend um, our listeners check it. But anyway, within that series, we've spoken about, you know, payment localization services and how challenging that region really is to enter due to all the different regulations within each country, the different currencies. And when you're looking to expand into a region like Latin America or Africa or, you know, all these these regions which have diverse regulations and diverse currencies. And I think what you really need is partnerships. You need a sort of a little helping hand just to establish yourself in that region. I think it's near near on impossible for you to enter that region and expect success if you've not got anyone helping you really and guiding you through this this turbulent process. So I think those two are the real main ones for me is, you know, partnerships and and just that ambitious drive. What an answer. Well, I think uh, I think that's probably what I would have gone for. Polly, Polly, what about you? 
I agree with Francis. I think it does come down to partnerships. And I think I really liked what Irina, is that her name, said about partnerships uh, in your article. Um, and it's the idea that, you know, if, if you want to do something, in this case, obviously, it's expand a fintech, surely you should be talking to the people that know how to do it or have experience in how to do it or can help you do it. I'm always a big fan of asking uh, for help. And I think partnership can really just help generate the best situation for an expansion for fintech purely by, you know, using that knowledge, using that advice that they can possibly give you um, and just having them being able to establish the solid foundation for a company with a partnership and then have that develop into the expansion into a new ecosystem or whatever that may be i think that is it's got to be key surely but um but then what do i know i've never expanded a fintech but i think for me that makes the most sense yeah i think you you're both um on the money there and to be honest it's difficult for me to disagree with with anything that you said I think the next step for us here is to to start some sort of fintech and <laughs> apply apply these rules. But um, yeah, super super fascinating article and probably one of my favourites uh, from from the series. But anybody listening to this, I really highly recommend that you head on over to our homepage to check out the final few bits of our monthly coverage before we move into Women in Fintech in October, which is also very highly anticipated. So um, so yeah, that's uh, that's me for this week. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Tyler. Um, as you said, you know, you can head on over to the website if you're interested in any of the stories we've talked about today or anything else. There's plenty of news and insights over on the fintechtimes.com ready for you to read. Um, and let's move on to what I learned this week. So each week, so much new information about the fintech world across our desks on the editorial team that we are learning something new all the time. Uh, and so we wanted to share that with our listeners. So Tyler, what did you learn this week? Well, Polly, what didn't I learn this week? I I think uh, we were looking at open source uh, in one of our articles recently and about the benefits of the public domain and and how uh, that could be applied to, to fintech. This was on the back of an article that suggested that uh, open source be delivered more through uh through training and through the right programs so yeah i was looking at a lot of a lot of open source this week in the public domain and how fintech technology uh, well financial technology sits upon that and how it could also be used what about you i learned this week about a new announcement from natwest which is that they are going to be giving fathers a year of paternity leave from january 2023 uh, which I think is brilliant. They're going to be offering a year of paternity leave to male bankers when they become a father. And I was very happy to see this um, as, you know, I just think it's fantastic. And I think everyone should do it because raising a baby is not a woman's job. We won't go into that today. Um, but yeah, really great news. Um, and then Francis, what do you think? What do you think? No, what what did you learn? I was going to say, I thought that, that topic was for a whole nother day. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I learned about a new London-based fintech called Takeoff, which is aimed at supporting underserved communities, it officially launched its waitlist for a financial services app and is set to launch in spring of 2023. As I mentioned, it aims to help underserved people and the next generation of workers reach their financial goals by delivering affordable financial products and services to meet their individual needs. And it aims to do so in a responsible and sustainable way, which 
you know, we love to hear. So looking forward to see what they do next. Amazing stuff. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you guys once again for another great discussion. Um, really enjoyed doing the podcast with this week. And as always, see you next week. See you next week, guys. See you next week, guys. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.